You know, I gotta, I gotta tell you, we just sang that song joyfully. I know the pastor's not supposed to turn around and look at everybody while they're singing, but you didn't all look real joyful. I'm sorry. How many of you got a smile today for some reason? Okay, good. We need to be joyful. If you have your Bibles, take them and uh, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And, uh, boy, I just... uh, God's so great. He is so amazing. And we just need to capture that. When we come to church, it should come with a... A joyful spirit that says, I am so glad to be here, and I'm so lucky that I can be here. I'm not lucky, throw that out. I am so privileged that I can be in the house of God. Boy, that should be a desire that we have. When we get up on Sunday morning, you start out and you say, wow, I get to go to church today. I get to worship today. I get to to sing praises to God today. I get to study the Word of God today, and that's what we're going to do this morning. I want to read a couple of... uh, Portions that I found uh, this morning, or actually this week, and I want to read them to you, and uh, let them sink in as I read them. It says, you have a small item in your house which is more precious than gold, it's more powerful than dynamite, and is filled with more blessings than a million good luck charms, medals, or fortune cookies. I added the fortune cookies, that's not there. It's your Bible. Did you get that? You have something in your house, an item, a small item that is more precious than gold, more powerful than dynamite, and filled with more blessings than a million good luck charms. And it's your Bible. Do you see it that way? Do you understand it that way? Or do you go home and kind of flip it down on the bed or on a counter or someplace else and just let it sit there until the next week? Or maybe you don't carry your Bible anymore. Maybe you simply use your phone. Or your pad. And that's fine. They're there. But man, I love this. I remember when I came out of seminary, I, I was concerned that I had the right to preach from the Bible. Because it's so amazing. It's your Bible. It has changed lives. It's altered the destiny of nations. It's guided people in all ages is given healing to those in pain and strength to those who are weak. Its pages of power give us God's assurance that he will fulfill his promises if we trust in him and that our highest hopes will be realized. Another person wrote, the Bible is a tool. It's to be used. It's not an ornament to be admired. Often people put the Bible on a shelf or a pedestal and admire it from some distance. It It may be covered with leather and and made to appear of some sort of an idol. Uh, The bride may carry a copy of the Bible in her wedding bouquet, but then she packs it away with the rest of the wedding souvenirs. The politician swears on it when he takes that oath of office, and then he puts it away and seldom swears by it again. The Bible is honored most when we allow it to work in our lives. When we allow it to make the difference. That was the case with the people of Thessalonica. They had come out of idolatry. They really hadn't followed God. And Yet when Paul came, he preached, and the Holy Spirit worked in their lives. They received the message. They received Jesus as Lord and Savior. And 
He transformed their lives. I want to read to you from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 20 this morning, and then I'm going to come back, and we're just going to spend some time in verse 13. I think it is so important that we study this passage this morning. But beginning with the 13th verse of 1 Thessalonians 2, it says, For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work, its power in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus, which are in Judea. For you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They are not pleasing to God, but they're hostile to all men, hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved with the result that they always fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them to the utmost. For we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short while, in person, not in spirit, were all the more eager with great desire to see your face, for we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, and yet Satan hindered us. Now listen to verse 19 and 20. I, I really grabbed a hold of these two verses. It says, for who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Who, who is it that is our joy? Who is it that is our award in heaven? And he says, is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? Or you? are our glory and joy. And I don't know, I hope I didn't take it out of context, but I read that passage and I thought, when we come into the presence of Jesus, there are going to be those around us, and many, if you have been instrumental in their coming to know Jesus Christ, will they be there with you? There will be a time of joy, there will be a time of thanksgiving, there will be a time of appreciation. Thank you for giving and I'll tell you, when I get there, Paul says, you are my joy, my exaltation, my crown of exaltation, my hope. I don't want to be there alone. I hope you don't want to be there alone. You'll be there with the person who touched your life and brought you, and you will be his crown of exaltation. But will there be somebody there with you saying thank you? You impacted their lives. You made a difference in them. That's the key. Will we be there with them? Well, it comes back, and I want to come back to verse 13, because that's really where we are this morning, and it's, it's the one that uh, I really want to focus on. It says, for this reason also, we also thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you also accepted it, not as the word of man, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Performs its work of power. That's really what it is. It's, it's, it's not simply saying it work. It's, it's the power of God, the word of God working in your life. I read the story of a, a woman who had gone through, uh, it was a real crisis. She was depressed. She was down. She was anxious. She had panic attacks. She would go to bed at night. She couldn't go to sleep. Uh, panic attacks can be devastating. 
And, and she was having these. She had gone to counselors, and the counselors hadn't particularly helped. She had gone to doctors, and the doctors had given her medication, but the medication didn't change anything. And finally, she went to her pastor. Let me just say something. Folks, don't wait to go to your pastor or your spiritual counselor or to the Word of God last. I see people over the years as their marriages are falling apart and they've gone to everybody else and they come and say, Pastor, can you fix it? Don't wait till it needs to get fixed. Anyway, she came to her pastor and she said, Pastor, I'm having these panic attacks and I'm anxious and, and I can't sleep and can you help me? And he said, yeah, I've got something you can do. He says, what I want you to do is every night before you go to bed, because this seems to be a problem at that time, I want you to take the 23rd Psalm and I want you to read over it four times. He said, just read the 23rd Psalm four times before I go to sleep. He said, yeah, every night. Will you do that? Sounds kind of crazy, doesn't it? How's that going to help? She sat down and she began to read it. And uh, she read through it rather quickly. But you know, so often when we look at what God has for us and what God says we should be doing or what we see in the Word, because it's really coming back to the Word of God, uh, we look at it and say, well, that's too simple or that, that, that really isn't medical or that really isn't going to help me. And that's kind of how this woman was. It's kind of like the story of a man by the name of Naaman. Naaman was a, uh, a military officer, a nation that was an enemy, uh, was an enemy of, of Israel and Judea. And uh, Naaman contracted leprosy. And he said, I, I, I had this leprosy and I want to I get over it. And there was a little slave girl there. She was from the Jews, from the Israelites. And she said, well, there's a, there's a prophet in Israel and he can probably heal you. And he said, really? And she said, yes, because there was no hope where he was. Uh, and so he took a... <laughs> a branch of the army, I guess, the military, and they went down, and, and the king was frightened when he saw him come because of who they were, and he said, I, I, I want to be healed. I've got money. I'll give it to you. I, I need to be healed of my leprosy. And the king said, I can't do that. I don't have that power. And Elisha heard about it, and he said, send him on down to me. And so this, this man, Naaman, was sent to Elisha. And he got to Elisha's house, and, and the servant came out, and, and Naaman told him what he needed, and... and uh, Servant went back in, I'm kind of paraphrasing all of this, and told Elisha, and Elisha says, well, go back out and tell him to go down to the Jordan and dip seven times into the Jordan, and he'll be clean. <laughs> uh, Naaman had fits. He said, I am a man of importance. I am a man of greatness. I am a man of authority and power. The least he could do is come out and talk to me or pray to me or call on his God or lay his hands on me or do something. We have better rivers where I come from than the Jordan. It's a dirty little stream. And he got ready to go back home, and one of his servants or some of his servants said, we've come all this way. Why don't we just go try it? And Naaman went down, and he dipped seven times in the Jordan River, and he came up clean. You see, what I want you to get is sometimes we look at what God gives us, and we say, oh, that isn't enough. That's not where it should be. But there's a thing of obedience and when we're obedient to God, we see God work. So this is where the woman was who had this anxiety, these anxiety attacks, panic attacks. 
And she went home and she began to read, and, and she would read through it rather quickly, the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my... You know, and she was going through this four times, so she'd go to sleep. She still kind of had the panic attacks. But as she was going through it night after night, she began to realize that she needed to slow down and think about it. And as she was going through it, she was memorizing it. It was being placed in her mind, and she was thinking more and more about what God does and how he makes a difference in her life. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to... And then the third thing she did was she memorized it, but then she began to meditate on it. What does that mean to me, that the Lord is my shepherd? I shall not want. Shepherds take care of the flock. Shepherds give oversight. Shepherds give sustenance. They give food. They give protection. They do all of these important things. And and that's what it says God is to me. And I'm worried and anxious about so many things. And yet it says God takes care of those. He makes me to lie down and rest in green pastures. A place of calmness, of stillness. He Leads me beside still waters. I understand sheep can't drink out of a bubbling brook because the water comes up in their nose and they don't want to drink from there. So it needs to be still water. And the shepherd knows where to find it. He restores my soul. And as she was going over this passage and meditating on it before she went to sleep, She began to realize the anxiety was gone, the fear was gone, the panic attack subsided. Because instead of focusing on all the things she was fearful of, she began to focus on God. The Word of God changes our lives if we let it really become part of us. And as we go back to this passage in verse 13, it says, for this reason we also constantly, and that uh, Paul was saying it's a continuous ongoing action in our lives. We are constantly thanking God. When you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. Listen to this. Not as word from men, not the pastor just coming with some pre-planned sermon, but for what it really is. The Bible is the word of God which also performs a work in those who believe. And and we think of the Bible, and when we hear it, it, it shows us that we have a need, that we are sinners without a Savior. It talks about the fact that Jesus Christ in his love went to the cross and died for us. Salvation is through the Scripture. We also realize that guidance comes through the Scripture. God directs our lives in the way we are to live. Comfort. He says, I comfort you with a comfort. 1 Corinthians, comfort comes from the Scripture. Eternal life comes from the Scripture. It's it's beginning to understand, and it's those who believe, those who have faith. In fact, that was a common theme throughout the book of Thessalonians. We're going to see it again, but back in chapter 1, verse 3, it says, we were constantly bearing in mind your work of faith labor of love and the steadfastness of the hope in Christ Jesus. And you remember it was that faith that transformed and changed them. And then he says, you received the word of God. When you received the word of God, which you heard and accepted it, not as a word from men, but for what it really is, the word of God. 
we hear a lot of philosophical ideas about how we're to live today, and we see them on TV, we read about them in the books we read, we get them from our friends, and oftentimes they're not in agreement with the Word of God. And we grab those and we hold on to them rather than going back and saying, what does Scripture teach us? How are we to live according to the Bible? How is that to make a a difference in our lives? The the Thessalonians understood that the Scripture was the Word of God. In in 2 Timothy 3.16, we go back to that and it says, all Scripture. That means beginning with Genesis 1.1 and going through to the end of Revelation, all Scriptures inspired. That word means God-breathed. By God, all scriptures inspired by God. And then it says it's profitable for teaching, for reproof. In other words, it teaches me how to live. And when I get off track, it tells me, hey, Cochran, you're messing up. You're not where you need to be today. Your life isn't what it's supposed to be today. Reproof, correction gets me back on track. It's all right here. Training in righteousness, it gives me training for which purpose? There's always a purpose. You need to come back and say, what is the application? What is the purpose? It's that the man or woman of God may be adequate for every good work. It's all right here. But if we don't see the Bible in that way, if we don't respect the Bible in that way, it says it is the word of God. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, it says, but know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture, all the way from Genesis 1 through Revelations, no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. It's not just how I see it, or what I think, or what I feel. For no prophecy, no clear speaking of the Word of God was ever made by an act of the human will. It wasn't just humans writing what they want, but men moved, and, and, and if you take that word, it means moved along, directed by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. So when we look at this, it's a whole lot different than any other book you have. It's a lot different than any self-help tapes that you watch or see or listen to. It's a lot different than any direction your political leaders are going to give you. It goes back to the Word of God. We need to understand, did you come to hear God speak to you this morning. You say, well, Andy, you're speaking. Yeah. But when I read the Bible, it's as if God's speaking. Now, I may mess it up sometimes. Don't don't listen to where I mess it up. But don't miss out on the fact that God speaks through his word. He gave us two... Two words, he gave us the living word, that's Jesus. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. All things came into being through him. He came to to communicate the person of God to us and God's will to us. But then he gave us the written word through men so that we might understand it. And, And the fact is that so we might understand it better, the Holy Spirit indwells you. You are, if you've received Jesus Christ this morning, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. He lives in you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you're not your own? He is the one that communicates and makes the word uh, evident to us so we understand it better. Second Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 
uh, 12, it makes another statement concerning the Holy Spirit. It says, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but a spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. When you read the Bible, you need to read it as if God is speaking to you. It's his word. There's one message that comes out of it. It was the message that the Holy Spirit gave. But there are principles that you will draw out of it for how to live. You think about God speaking to you when you read the Bible. You get up in the morning and say, man, I want to hear God this morning. And you go and you say, I, I, Lord, I need your Holy Spirit to open my heart and open my mind to hear the things that you want to teach me, that you want to show me, that you want me to understand. When you leave church in the morning, maybe you've heard me preach or Corwin preach or someone else, and, and we've been going through Scripture. It's not that we are inspired, but we hopefully study the Word and the Holy Spirit leads and guides and directs in our message but when you go out of here, do you simply forget what you heard? Or do you take time to really reflect and say, what does that mean to me? How does that impact me? When you go to a Bible study with some friends or you sit down in the morning, do you ask, man, this is God's word. What does it say to me and how does it impact my life? The Thessalonians, it says in this passage, heard they heard the word. You know, um, Abraham Lincoln made a statement. Abraham Lincoln, this is a quote from him. He says, the Bible is God's best gift to man. The Bible is God's best gift to man. Daniel Webster, if any of you have ever seen the Webster's Dictionary, you know who he is. It says, if we abide by the principles taught in the Bible, our country will go on prospering and to prosper. But if we or our posterity neglect it and its instructions and authority, no man can tell how sudden a catastrophe may overwhelm us and bury all our glory in profound obscurity. Those are prophetic words for today. I want to give you four principles from this passage. Uh, how do we really get the word into our lives to make a difference? It says, for this reason also we thank God that when you receive the word which you heard from us, and the very first thing is, if you want to get the word into your life, you've got to listen. You've got to hear it. You've got to take it in. You've got to internalize it, but you have to hear it. In Romans, the, uh, the 10th chapter, Romans chapter 10 uh, 14th and 15th verse, and then the 17th verse, it says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Oh, but how will they believe in him in whom they have not heard? In other words, the message didn't go out, and how will they hear without a preacher? Doesn't necessarily mean a preacher like in the church, but someone who expounds the word of God, who shares it with them. It may be you or somebody you know. How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. goes down to verse 17. It says, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. 
they listened to these Thessalonians. They took in what was being said to them because it was important. And I'll tell you today, the very first thing you have to do is you have to listen. You can come into church and you can sit through a sermon, a message, and not hear a thing if you don't listen. Your mind is not open to the things of God. If you're not open to what God wants to teach you, you can come, but yet not hear. And we need to be hearing what God has for us. In fact, in Isaiah 55, verse 11, it says, So will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty. In the King James, we often have learned it that way, will not return to me void. It means without having accomplished its purpose. In fact, it goes on and says, without accomplishing what I desire, God says, without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. And so the word goes forth and you hear it and you understand it. It is that we need to listen. We need to hear what God has to say. Back in 1 Samuel, the story of when Samuel was born, his mother Hannah couldn't have a child and she went to the temple and she prayed and she promised God that if he gave her a child she would raise him and that she would bring him back to the temple and she would give him to the priest to raise to serve God. In 1 Samuel chapter 3 it says, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord before Eli. He was living there. The word from the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were infrequent. And it happened at that time as Eli was lying down in his place Now his eyesight had begun to grow dim and he could not see well. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. It was still burning and and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Wow, what a place to sleep. That the Lord called Samuel and he said, here I am. And then he ran to Eli and he said, here I am for you called me. But he said, I didn't call you. Lie down again. Must have been a dream. And so he went and he lay down again, and the Lord called him yet again, Samuel. And so Samuel rose, and he went to Eli, and he said, Here I am, for you called me. But he answered, I did not call you, my son. Lie down again. Now, Samuel did not know yet the Lord. He he didn't have that relationship with God, even though he was serving in the temple. It said, Nor had the word of God yet been revealed to him. Boy, how can that be when you're working in the church? So the Lord called Samuel again for the third time, and he arose and he went to Eli and he said, Here I am, for you called me. And Eli discerned that the Lord was calling the boy. And Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and it shall be if he calls you that you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And so Samuel went and he lay down in his place. And then the Lord came and he stood and he called, as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. What do you say when you read the Bible? Speak, for your servant is listening. What an amazing statement for us to be able to say, speak, for your servant is listening. How do we hear back in the book of James? In James, the first chapter. In 
in James 1, 22 to 25. They all stuck together. I'll get somebody to turn these in a minute. James 22 to 25, it says, Prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror, and for once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But he who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. You see, the question is, do we hear? Do we listen to what God has? You know, I think sometimes people come to church and they go through the motions and they never really hear what the Bible has to say. Are you listening? Are you listening? Let me ask you a question, those of you who are parents and have been parents and you've talked to your kids. How do you know if your kids are listening? How do you know if they're listening? How does God know if we're listening? Each one of you have an idea of how you know your children are listening and that's by what they do whether they do what you ask them to, if they they respond, whether they respond and do all of it or a portion of it. And so these people heard, it says, and then it goes on and it says they received the word. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you receive the word, that means to receive it unto yourself. It's, It's the idea of head knowledge. You hide it away in your heart. John uh, or Psalms 119.11 says, Thy word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. If you're not hiding it away, if you're not making it part of who you are, when you have temptations and struggles and issues and fears and anxieties, you won't know how to respond to them. you got to have the word up here. And that means... Uh, Paralambano, to take it to yourself, to bring it alongside. I, I think the best way you can do that is to memorize the Word of God, to, to begin to hide it in your heart. I, uh, I should have brought my, bio, my phone in here. I was going to bring it this morning, and I didn't. Uh, years ago, some people say, what do I memorize? Years ago, I uh, became acquainted with the Navigator's Topical memory system. It's got 60 verses in here, and they're all topically addressed. It gives you little cards you can put into a folder. You carry them with you. You memorize. This year, I thought, man, I'm always losing that, or it's being left here, or it's being left there. I went online to see if there's anything. Guess what, folks? There's an app for less than $5, and you can get all of them. You're standing in line at the grocery store. Everybody else is looking at Facebook. You're looking at your verses. And you'll hide the word of God. You memorize one verse a week. At the end of this year, you'd probably finish topical memory system number one with a couple of extra verses, and you'll have 60 verses hidden away that will come back when you need them. And then if you finish that, you've got life issues that is just as long, and it's available. 
It is, uh, if you use an Android phone, I don't know if it's there for Apple or not. They may not be that spiritual or that advanced. I have, a, I have no idea. But I know that on an Android, I can get that topical memory system, and I use it all the time now. And if you want to memorize the Word of God, you want to get a hold of it, you want to you hear it, but go beyond that, you go to Google Play Store, and you can get it, like I said, for less than $5.00. And I encourage you to do it. So important that we put to God's word and then not only do we hear it and do we receive it, but we accept it. It says the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it. It's the idea that you internalized it. You meditated on it. You know, I hear a lot of people talking about, oh, you've got to have prayer and meditation. Prayer and meditation. Most of them aren't talking about the meditation of Scripture. They're talking about the idea of praying and, and going into quiet, emptying your mind. I think there is a place where we sit quietly before the Lord. But when you talk about that kind of meditation where you're simply emptying your mind and being quiet, that's basically New Age or Eastern mystic religions. That's where it came from. You're opening your mind to anything at that point. But when we talk about meditation from the Bible... It talks about the idea of, comes from the word to ruminate. How many of you know what ruminate is? Okay, a few of you. You know what it means to ruminate. I, I grew up for a portion of my life on a farm. And we had cattle. And those old cows would go out there and they would grab a bunch of grass and they would eat it and they would be eating away on this grass. They loved this grass. It was great. It tasted so good. Then they went over when it got warm and they laid down under a tree. And you know, you think they got Wrigley spearmint gum or something. You know what they do? It's not real honoring. They bring it back up, that grass, and they chew it all over again. To ruminate is to chew it all over again. To meditate on Scripture is to continue to go over it again. Bring it up. What does it say to you? How does it apply to you? How does the message apply? Uh, Psalms chapter 1 is, is a great passage that uh, deals with this idea of, of meditation, of, of scriptural meditation, not what we get so much of today, but scriptural meditation. And it says, blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. In other words, you're not taking on the philosophies of men. You're not talking about what men think. And that was what the Thessalonians said. They didn't take what men said. They, they don't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. But his joy, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He goes back over it. it. It makes a difference for him. In the book of Joshua, Joshua was getting ready to lead the nation of Israel uh, into the promised land, the land that God had promised to them, and God gave him direction. And in verse 8, it says, This book of the law, Joshua, what I gave to Moses shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it, you shall ruminate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it. I think of the woman that memorized the 23rd Psalm. 
And as she was laying in bed and she began to just ruminate, she began to think through it. She'd memorized it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I don't need anything else. I get so uptight about everything else. My family, my relationships, my finances. All I need is God. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Joshua chapter 1, verses 7 through 9, it says, only be strong, Joshua, and very courageous. You want me to be strong and courageous? You know what's out there, Lord? I'm bigger than the giants. That's what God says. Be careful to do according to the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Don't turn from it to the right or the left. Joshua, stay in tune. Keep on track so that you may have success wherever you go. And then this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. He says, meditate on it. And then we drop down to verse 9. Have I not commanded you, Joshua? Think about it. This is my command. It's not a suggestion. Be strong. Be courageous. Don't tremble. Don't be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. What are you anxious about? What are you fearful of? What bothers you? Do you have scripture you can go back to and bring before the Lord and say, wow, this is what it says? Philippians 4, 6, and 7 is a great one to be meditating on. Be anxious for nothing, God says. Lord, I I don't have control. I, I can't control. Be anxious for nothing. Andy, quit being anxious. Quit being fearful. Quit looking towards the future and do what you're asked to do today. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer. This is the key. Through prayer, that's a general statement. Supplication is specific. What is the issue? And you lay out the issue. Here it is, God. With thanksgiving because of what God's already going to do. Let your request be made known unto God. And then it says, God doesn't say I'm going to change everything. But he says, I'm going to give you peace. Here was a woman couldn't go to sleep. She had panic attacks. She was anxious. And God says, I'll give you peace. You pay attention to me. And when you receive it, study it, get it down, get the specifics down. You know, I heard the story of a man. He was so proud of his son. His son was amazing with math. He was probably second or third grade, and he'd just gotten the multiplication tables down. He could do everything, and he was trying to show this man, show his friends how great his son was and how he had learned all of these mathematical things. And he, he said, son, you know, if we go buy a pack of gum, it's 25 cents, but what if you want to buy gum for all of your class? You need 15 packs of gum. How much is that? The little boy looked at his dad, and he said, well, it's... $4.06. And his dad immediately went quiet because he knew that wasn't the right answer. How did his son done this to him? He, he embarrassed him. And, and so he changed the subject very quickly and talked about somebody, something else. And when they were alone, the father said, why did you say $4.06? He said, don't you know that 15 times 25 is three seventy-five? It's $3.75. And the little boy looked at his dad and he says, oh yeah, dad, but you forgot the tax. Pay attention to details. Pay attention to what God says and the details for your life. And then you simply apply it. We talked about that just a moment earlier. 
So we come back to our passage. At the end of verse 13, he said, You heard what you heard from us and accepted it not as the word of man, not just our word, but what really is the word of God. When we look in the Bible, that's it, which also performs its work. The idea of, of performing the work is to energize it. Effectively works is the translation there. It empowers you who have faith, who believe, who put your trust in God to live according to his word. Hebrews, there's a passage in the fourth chapter that really focuses on what the word of God does. In the twelfth verse, it says, for the word of God is living. This is a living book. It's not a just a dead book that somebody copied. It's living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it pierces as far as the division of the soul and the spirit, both the joints and the marrow. And it's able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of my heart. This is special. It's the word of God. It, I was going to say that trumps something, but that's not the term I want to use. Uh, it surpasses all other philosophical ideas of man. And you take it and you understand it as God's word, and it changes who we are. The Bible changes us through the power of the Holy Spirit but if you don't take the Bible in, you don't change. It's important every day. Get the nav pack. Begin to memorize. Begin to internalize. Begin to meditate upon those verses. And I can guarantee you, if you do that and you really make them yours, they will make a positive change in who you are and your life and your relationships. But without the Word of God, we really don't have much. Let's pray. Father, boy, it's so important that we understand your word, that we understand it's not just another book. Forgive us, Father, when we are rather blasé, rather lazy about your word and the understanding of your word and how it applies to us. Help us, Father, to internalize it, to make it real. I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in each and every one of us to know your will, to live according to your word, Father. For when we separate ourselves and go a different way, we really don't find much of value. There's lots of philosophies out there, philosophical ideas, people saying, oh, this is okay and that's okay, and yet, Father, we see a culture today that is slipping downhill. I really believe that. And so help us to come back as a people, as a church, as individuals, as a nation to you. A real transformation, Father, to be where you want us to be. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your care for us. Thank you for your word. And thank you for Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.